For those that remain in the auditorium and watching online, please turn your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 28, Matthew's gospel, the last chapter. And this morning we're going to look at verses 16 through 20, Lord willing. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Just a note, we did receive word from the CPHO that once you are seated, you may remove your mask if you are comfortable doing so. I meant to say that at the top and neglected to do so, but thank you so much for returning to the mask mandate, wearing them into the building, out of the building, and when you're mixing and mingling, but once you're seated and the service has started, you can remove that mask if you are comfortable to do so. And uh, so thank you so much uh, for adhering to that. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. As I noted last Sunday, we are this September doing something we have for the last number of years, and that's taking a brief hiatus from our regular book study, uh, whatever that book may be. And there's a couple reasons for doing that. One is to introduce our new theme as we look forward to the next year, as well as to take a little bit of a break, a bit of a pause, reorient some things, address some things. And so uh, as we kind of gear up for things in the fall, uh, I hope that this will be helpful to you. Our theme for next year is going to be gospel purity, remaining deeply rooted in Jesus. And uh, the book that we're going to be going through is the book of Leviticus. Can I get an amen? I didn't think so. But however, uh, that is the plan and that is the challenge uh, before us. Coming off of the book of Romans, uh, a focus on the gospel, and in particular how that relates to individuals who are Gentiles and Jewish, and then looking ahead to 2023 when we intend to go through the book of Hebrews, I think it necessary to go back into the Old Testament and get a sense of the Jewish mindset, the Jewish culture, the Jewish understanding of things. And then as we move into Hebrews to understand such concepts, such good and biblical concepts as atonement and other things, it's almost impossible to do that without going through the Old Testament book of Leviticus. And so uh, we wanted to introduce that theme. We also wanted to just take a little bit of a break from our regular uh, book study in the book of Romans this year and just focus on uh, the, perhaps the present situation and just kind of reorient ourselves. During this time and during any time when things are not going our way, and oftentimes things are not going the way exactly as we would want them to go, our tendency is to go inward. We tend to think about ourselves, that's how we're wired, especially uh, our old nature that is resident within us. We tend to think about ourselves, our opinions, our perspectives, our comfort, things being the way we want them to be. We get our eyes off God and others, turn our eyes onto ourselves is our natural bent. And then we begin to complain and gripe and grumble and murmur and do all the things that we know that we're not supposed to do, but this isn't fair, this isn't right, I don't like this, I don't want this. These are things that we hear a lot. And it may not quite look like a toddler who is sort of petulantly giving a tantrum, but oftentimes that is how it is. It's just adultified. That's who we are. That's who we've been since the moment of our conception. And apart from the grace of God, that's who we continue to be. It's all about us is our natural inward bent. And so last Sunday, we looked at the first three verses of Psalm 115 
and wanted to challenge ourselves to, instead of looking inward, to look upward, because that is where all of the change begins to happen, to gain a proper perspective of who God is and who we are and to reorient ourselves rightly as to how things actually are, not how things are from our perspective, we need to look upward. And so the psalmist begins by saying, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. And then in verse 3, our God is in the heavens, he does as he pleases. We need that message. We need that message a lot. Our God is graciously sovereign. He does not take naps. He does not take vacations. He is not indifferent to us. He is not turning a blind eye to us. He is in the heavens, and all things are working according to his plan. And in the times, especially when things are difficult, when they are hard, when they are not what we want them to be, we need to remind ourselves of who God is, the gracious sovereign over all of the universe. I think a second uh, direction we need to focus on that we often do not focus on when we are inward focused is outward. So upward to the one who is over all, the almighty God, but then outward to those around us. When bad things happen, especially in a community setting, whose needs do we first focus on? If we are bent inwards, which is all of our bent apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, we look at ourselves. How can I improve my position? How, how can I improve my lot? How can I be more comfortable? And we lose sight of those around us. And what we have been called to through Christ is to be outward focused. Upward focused and outward focused and not inward focused. So follow along with me if you would as we read Matthew 28 verses 16 through 20. This commission that Jesus gives to his disciples has come to be known as the Great Commission. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of God. In this idea then of being outward focused, the first thing that we see in verses 16 and 17 is our weakness. There's something implied here and something explicit. This outward focus does not come from us. We're not wired this way. We have been wired from birth to be inward focused. This outward focus can only come from the one who is outward focused, the thrice holy God who is in the heavenlies. This can only come through the transforming work of the power of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives. This does not come from us. And so notice in the first place, the weakness, notice that only 11 disciples remain. There's a lot packed into that number, is there not? We know the story. But as if to remind us, Matthew says to us, the 11 disciples met him in Galilee. There used to be 12. And so this group of individuals is already down one. And of course, the focus in that number 11 is primarily on Judas Iscariot. 
who was with but not of, who was close but not in, the one who was part of this group of 12, there with the other disciples, trusted no doubt because he was appointed as the group's treasurer, and we have no indication from Scripture that that was a self-appointment. And yet he is the one that for 30 pieces of silver betrays his own Lord and Savior. He is so overcome by what he has done that he goes out and commits suicide in, the most, in a very grotesque fashion. So they limp almost, you could say, to this mountain in Galilee to meet up with Jesus, down one already. And yet even as you look in this group of 11... There is a vast difference, vast division or potential division in this group. You have in this group a one named Simon who has a nickname, the Zealot. We are not told explicitly in Scripture, but it is quite possible that as a Zealot, he may have been a member of the Sakare, this dagger-wielding and dagger-carrying underground Jewish terrorist group who conducted guerrilla warfare against the Romans during this time period. Under stealth, they would attempt to murder, assassinate Roman authorities in order to rebel and revolt against the government of the time. Also in this group of 11 is the one who's writing this gospel, Matthew, who is or was a tax collector. And his interaction with the governing authorities as a Jew is to join them and to be labeled by many, along with Zacchaeus and others, a traitor. You could not get two individuals on more polar opposites on the question, how do we interact with the governing authorities? One joined them and collected taxes for them. One attempted to assassinate all of them that he could. Does that sound a little bit like what's going on right now? How many different responses to the governing authorities have we had amongst different Christians? And in this group of 11, you have individuals who are on opposite sides of this, and they are part of this group. This group did not stay together because of their own strength. They did not come together because of rallying around anything that had to do with them. They are only the disciples because of Jesus Christ. There is great weakness in the midst of this group. And notice in the second place that some are hesitant. Explicitly, it says, when they saw him, they worshipped him. This would be a natural response to the resurrected Jesus. He conquered death. It is right to worship him. And yet notice what it says. But some, and we're not told who, are hesitant is the word in the original language. It only appears elsewhere in the New Testament, also in this gospel, when Peter is walking on the water to Jesus who is walking towards him on the water, and it says, and he doubted. He's hesitant, and so he begins to sink. We are not told in the text why this group of, of this minority group or why this subgroup of the disciples are hesitant. We're not told. It'd be pure speculation. But the reality is that not all of them are on board with whatever is coming next. Anybody here this morning hesitant? You're in good company. They didn't have all the answers. Can you imagine? I mean, put yourself in the position of the disciples. All that's happened within the last, like, less than a week. We have changing circumstances. Circumstances never changed so rapidly as they did when Jesus was around. To go from the high of the triumphal entry, Hosanna, 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, fulfilling Zechariah's prophecy. The Messiah has come on that Palm Sunday, and then Friday he's dead. You don't get a higher high or a lower low. And then that next Sunday, he rises to life again from the dead. Another high. The emotions are all over the place. These individuals are weak individuals. And as they sit there with the resurrected Jesus, they are unsure. And I would contend that so are we. And that's okay. We're in good company. (laughs) It is not our weakness. It is his that causes us to look both upward and outward instead of inward. Notice in the second place, Jesus' strength. Our weakness, but the strength of Jesus. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. You can't help but think of that throne room scene in the vision of Daniel in chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, where the Ancient of Days grants authority to the Son of Man, one of Jesus' favorite names for himself. Jesus says this is now in reality, in time. All authority, he says, has been given to me in heaven and earth. There is no one who is greater than our Lord. There is no governmental authority. There is no virus. Not even death itself has greater authority than Jesus Christ the righteous. Notice the strength of Jesus Christ. They caught a glimpse. Three of them had caught a glimpse of that when he peeled back the curtain and showed them on the Mount of Transfiguration. They caught a little glimpse of who Jesus really was. I can imagine by times, as you were with Jesus, you could forget by times because he is fully human, who he actually was. He's eating with you, he's resting, he's doing the same things that all humans do. And for a little glimpse, they get a picture of who he really is, and now the resurrected Jesus Christ reminds them again of who he is. All authority has been given me in heaven and earth. There is no one greater than Jesus Christ this righteous. We've just sung that. Do we believe it? Notice two things here then, indicatives before imperatives. We keep saying this, and we've seen it in the book of Romans, we see it now again. Jesus is going to commission his disciples out. He's going to tell them to go and make disciples. But before he does that, he assures them of his strength, and then he's going to end with the promise of his presence. This imperative, this command comes bookended by Jesus. (laughs) Jesus has all authority, all power, and Jesus is always with us. And so what a beautiful reality that as we go forth to obey the commands of Scripture, we need to remind ourselves of the truths of Scripture. We do not go and make disciples in our strength. We are weak. We do not go and make disciples in our authority, and we definitely do not go and make disciples in our name. It's all Jesus, His strength. Remind ourselves of this. We don't have the strength to look outward. We are naturally bent inward. And so we do not look either upward or outward, and Jesus calls us to do that. Remember who I am. I have all authority. All things are done according to my plan and my will. Nothing happens to you apart from my hand. Understand that. As believers and followers of Jesus Christ, We can face any situation knowing that nothing is stronger than him. Nothing trumps his word. He has the final say. So nothing that happens to us has or will happen to us happens apart from him. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We must remind ourselves of this. And then notice not only do the indicatives of the power of Jesus Christ come before the imperatives of the command to go, 
But these indicatives actually empower imperatives. In verse 19, perhaps in your English version, the word go is first, but in the original language, the word therefore comes first. Based on what I, who I am, therefore go. Remind yourselves of who Jesus is. Coronavirus, COVID-19 does not have the final say. Death does not have the final word. Jesus has the final word. He has all authority in heaven and earth. His plan is the one that comes to pass. His power is limitless. He is the one who stands over everything else. Based on that, he says, therefore, here's what I'm giving you to do. This group of individuals, this ragtag group of 11 guys already down one, limping to Galilee, Peter, having denied he even knew Jesus three times. Matthew and Simon on opposite ends of a very important but not ultimate discussion. Doubting Thomas. We still know him by that moniker 2,000 years later. This is the group of guys. And Jesus says, go to this group of guys. And we are here this morning because of them and those others down through history that have gone and have made disciples. Now, we don't make disciples. God makes disciples. We'll get that in a moment. But they obeyed, this group of guys. The task before us then is great and in many ways is impossible apart from God. But Jesus says, I have all authority, therefore go. So what is his commission? Verses 19 and the first part of verse 20. There is one command and it's surrounded by three ways in which we obey that command. The command is make disciples of all nations. That's the command. The command is to go and to make disciples. That's what we're here for. We believe oftentimes, if we are not careful, that we're here for us. Life is about us. Our comfort, the things that we want. Is my life the way I want it? Things good? Jesus says to his disciples, you're mine twice. You're mine because I made you and you're mine because I remade you. You have life because of me and you have new life because of me. Therefore, you're mine, you're not your own. Therefore, go and make disciples. That's your call. That's your commission. It's not about you. It never was. It's about me and, and introducing me to everyone you know. That's what we're here for, to make disciples. So there are individuals in your sphere of influence, fellow students, co-workers, Family members, friends, neighbors, they don't know God. They don't know the beauty and the majesty of the, the God of heaven. They don't know the grace and mercy of the God of heaven. They don't, know, they, they don't know the reality of salvation through Jesus Christ. They don't know the wonder of being empowered by and filled with the Holy Spirit of God. They don't know the benefit of the word of God and of prayer they don't have the community of the saints. They are lacking an anchor for their soul. They are adrift on the sea of life with no rudder or anchor. They don't know the one who made them. And they are not only ignorant of that, they are willfully running away from him. And you have the opportunity every single day to introduce him once again to them. Do you know my father? Do you know my Jesus? Have you met him? He is the only hope. Tell them your story. Share with them him. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to make his father famous. And that's what the Holy Spirit has been doing since Jesus went back to heaven. It's all about God. His holiness. 
His righteousness, His goodness, His gentleness, His compassion, His truth, He is truth, love, justice, all of these things. Everything that our society is craving for, everything that our society is yelling and screaming about, all of those things can only be found in God. There is a God-shaped hole in us that only God can fill. And we know him not because we're better, not because we're more intelligent, not because we're better looking, not because we figured it out. We are only uh, his servants because of the power of God that found us where we were at and gave us new life. And so we have the opportunity to share that with everybody every day. Are we doing that? And then those that do know him but are not as far along the path as we are, are we looking out for them? We have had an opportunity in this time to look outwards to people who are struggling. They are fearful. The governmental authorities have failed them. Health and science cannot seem to figure things out. Everything that they stood on has been ripped away from them, and that is not because God hates them, that's because God loves them. God will frequently bring us to the place where he is all we have to remind us that he is all we need. This is not evidence of God's uh, judgment necessarily, that maybe I'm not ever speaking on behalf of God, but it's also evidence of his love, is it not? What are you trusting in besides God? Allow me to take that away. God is doing that in people's lives. And we have the opportunity to share with them the truth. And what have we been doing with it? Looking at ourselves, by and large. Uh, the biggest tragedy about COVID-19 is not COVID-19. It's the reaction and response of Christians, especially in the West, to COVID-19. To look at most people's social media feed, you would think that what we're all about is our rights and not about the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are people that are hurting way more than we ever will because we have Jesus and they don't. And yet, what are we doing? It's all about us. And Jesus calls the disciples, it's not about you. It's about me and it's about them. One of the greatest words in the Gospels that describes the heart of Jesus is compassion. In the original language, it's a visceral response. It's a, it's a physical response inside of Jesus. He looks at the multitudes. He says, as sheep without a shepherd, and he's moved with compassion on them. He knows who he is. <laughs> he knows that he's the answer. He's the one that came into this messed up, sin-cursed world in order to show to us who the answer is. And repeatedly he has compassion. I mean, even at the death of Lazarus, the, the, the shortest verse in all of scripture is one of the most profound. John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. He knows within seconds he's going to say, Lazarus, come forth. But what is he seeing? He's seeing a scene of people wrecked because of the grief of death. This is not how it's supposed to be. And he came not to just raise Lazarus back from the dead, but everyone who believes in him because he's going to rise back to life from the dead. And we have that message of hope. And yet we have been all about ourselves by and large. What a tragedy that Jesus calls us to make disciples. And we have looked inward and just tried to shore up our territory, so to speak. Notice there's three things then in the doing of that. Going, baptizing, and teaching. Go, he says. 
therefore go. It's an active thing. This is not a stay and wait and have people come to you. This is go to them. There are so many people in your sphere of influence that are confused, that are struggling, that are in pain, that are hurting, that don't have the answers. And you have the answer, not because you're better or smarter or any of those things, because God has revealed himself to you. So share him with others. Go, go. And by the way, in Matthew 16, when Jesus says that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church, those gates are defensive, not offensive. We are on the move, or ought to be. And even the power of hell and the power of evil cannot prevail against us because Jesus has given us all authority in heaven and on earth. It says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we hope to have a baptism here in the near future. I love baptisms. I love baptizing people. I love the stories that people give of the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ in their lives. And as they walk through that mini recreation of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, what an amazing thing. And then it says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Are we involved actively in people's lives, having somebody who's farther along the path in their relationship with God than we are teaching us and we looking back behind us at somebody who's not as far along on the path as we are and teaching them? Are we looking out? Are we looking around us for those that are hurting and in need of compassion? And are we providing it for them? Are we sharing with them the love and the holiness and the righteousness and the compassion and the truth and the gentleness and the grace and the mercy of our God and Savior. Are we doing that and teaching them? Many of us have walked through pain and suffering with Jesus by our side. Are we looking for those who are in the similar situation and saying, how can I come alongside and help you? You don't need a PhD. You don't need 15 years of experience and 10 years of Bible college training. You just need, as the article from our brother Tim Challies, I'm going to share tomorrow on social media, you just need to be a little bit further along the path. That's it. You've seen the path. You know where the pits are. You know where the cliff is. You know where the, the, the tree root is not to trip over. You've been a little bit along the path, so tell the people coming behind you about it. Make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Jesus' commission to us to look outward beyond ourselves and then notice in the last place he, he uh, shares with us his presence. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Did you notice the four uses of the word all in these verses? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Go therefore make disciples of all nations without exception, teaching them to remember all that I have commanded you without exception. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus bookends this command with his, his authority and with his presence. I have, I'm not leaving you. The disciples were told by Jesus that he was leaving them. And then it seemed like he did because he was crucified and died. And then he returned. And yet he is leaving them, bodily returning back into heaven at the ascension. And yet he is not leaving them or us. He is with us. Perhaps there's been times during this time that you believe that God has abandoned you or abandoned us as Christians. Because your focus has been far too much on our freedoms, far too much on our political clout, or any number of those things. It's not about any of that. It's about our sovereign God who is in the heavens, who does all that he pleases, and he has given us a commission. Stop navel-gazing and looking inward at yourself and griping and complaining and moaning and murmuring all about how things are so horrible and terrible. We have a commission, and that is to go introduce people to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what he's left us to do. That is our task. 
He's the one that makes disciples. He's the one that transforms hearts and lives. But we must be faithful to warn and we must be faithful to tell and to model. Grace Baptist, that is what Jesus has called us to do. That's what he's left us with. How are we doing? How much of our time has been spent arguing with people about their views on all of this? How much of our time has been spent griping and complaining about how we believe all of our freedoms are being taken away? How much of our time has been spent in arguing and griping and complaining and murmuring and, and, and all of these things versus how much of our time has been spent to say, listen, I notice that you're struggling. I notice that you're fearful and you're confused and you're hurting in this. Can I introduce you to the one who's overall? Can I introduce the one who's in all, through all, and to whom all things are, are finding their end? Can I introduce you to the one who is sovereign over all things? by whose hand all things come and in whose very hands I have committed my eternal soul. Can I introduce you to that individual? That anchor for my soul that can be the anchor for yours, that causes me to know that even though I am a sinner deserving of God's judgment because of Jesus Christ the righteous, he has made a way for his righteousness to be mine and the penalty for my sin to be his, and he calls me a son or a daughter. Can I introduce you to him? I'd love for you to know him. That's our task. In the midst of pain and suffering and hurt and confusion and frustration and, and regulations and all of these things, in the middle of all of that, we have one task, and that is to introduce Jesus Christ to as many people as we can. If he is our Lord and Savior, if he is the anchor for our soul and the bomb for our spirit, he can be that for everyone who repents and has faith in him. That is our task. How are we doing? Are we looking upward instead of inward? And are we looking outward instead of inward? Let's look to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, thank you for your love for us, your goodness and your grace to us. It is overwhelming to think of what we deserve, how weak we are, and even this group of individuals, confused, disoriented, perhaps even disillusioned, we know from other Gospels that they go back to fishing. They don't know what they're supposed to do anymore. They lack direction. They're experiencing guilt because they have denied their Lord and Savior. They may not have denied him in the way that Peter did, but none of them stood by him, with the apostle exception of John. They have fought and they have argued about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom. Father, they limp their way to Galilee, down one already. And their shepherd, who loves them, has great compassion on them, says, guys, all authority is mine in heaven and earth. Nothing can happen to you unless it comes by my hand. Do not fear the ones who can simply take your life, but fear the one who has your eternal soul in his hands. Fear my Father, and you will not need to fear anything or anyone else. So with my strength and my power and authority, which is limitless, therefore go, make disciples. Tell others about me. Tell others that they are sinners in need of a Savior, and I am that Savior. That I love them, that I died for them and rose again for them, and am ascending for them, to advocate for them, tell them. And I am always with you, 
and I will never leave you nor forsake you. So Father, you've given us a task and it is to look upward and outward and not inward. Forgive us where we have looked inward and reinvigorate us to look upward and outward. Father, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.